Y'all ready? Blues is art. I'm going back to the blues. Hey there, Haddon Sayers here, journeyman blues guitarist, singer, songwriter with more than 25 years of touring under my belt. Welcome to the Haddon Sayers Blues is Art podcast. Intimate, sometimes unpredictable conversations with the biggest names in modern blues. Hey everybody, Haddon Sayers Blues is Art podcast for, this is Thursday, April 23, 2020. We're in the middle of COVID-19 situation and there's nothing better than uh, doing some podcasts from home. This week, Scotty Miller, keyboard player extraordinaire for the Ruthie Foster family band. He's been a bandmate of mine for more than 10 years. He is a Minnesota Blues Hall of Fame inductee, 2018. He played with Big John Dickerson back in Minneapolis. He then went on to play for Bo Diddley, and he currently plays for Ruthie Foster, as I said. He's traveled the world. He's jammed with Prince. His latest CD is called Stay Above Water. It's available at scottymiller.com. He is one of the most talented musicians on the scene today and just a general all-around nice guy. I'm very happy to have him on the podcast. And without further ado, let's get right to it. Thank you. Welcome to the Blues is Our Podcast. This is Haddon Sayers, and I've got with me today a very, very special guest, Mr. Scotty Bones Miller from Minneapolis, Minnesota. How are you, Scotty? I'm good, Haddon. It's great to talk to you this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. All things considered, trying to uh, uh, dig my podcast from the ashes. I felt like I had so many gigs um, that I could like kind of let it let it languish. And uh, now I don't have those gigs anymore, so, yeah. you know, do what, yeah. we, what we do. Exactly. I'm glad you got this going. Yeah, me too. I'm excited about it. Um, and in fact, uh, I'll mention more to you when we're not in the middle of a podcast, but I have the idea that, uh, that the way I'd like to approach this is to uh, turn the Blues is Art podcast uh in, into takeover form as much as possible, meaning that any guest that comes on is is more than welcome to take over the controls and go go interview anyone they want to, and and it'll just be their podcast uh, as well. Okay. I think that'd yeah, be a really right. cool way to do it. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Well, like you, it. let's talk about you for a little bit. I've uh, all done right. a little. I've done a little bit of research. I didn't have to do a lot because I've known you for what ten years now. I think. Yeah, I was years. trying to figure at least ten years, ten maybe eleven years. Yeah, playing together. Time uh, flies. Okay. Yeah. Playing together in Ruthie Foster's band. It's been a joy and a privilege to to do that. I know that you feel the same way that I do about this gig. It's it's fantastic gig. So honored to be. Yeah, part man. Of it. Yeah, it's it's been a true blessing working together with you and and with Ruthie and the whole crew. Yeah, it's been a, a great run. Yeah, I think that one of the coolest things that we get to do is uh, is the Blues Cruise, Legendary Rhythm and Blues Cruise. Oh yeah. For years, yes. I wanted to be a part of it uh, of that prior to actually getting getting on with Ruthie, and. Uh, you know, just admired what they, what Roger neighbor was doing and, uh, always wanted to be a part of it. And so to finally get on, on the ship, man, it was just amazing. Is that how you felt about it? Yeah. Big time. Uh, it's been something that 
you know, have always aspired to be a part of and admired the lineup for years. And then, yeah, and when we got uh, <clears throat> invited to join Ruthie on it and, and, uh, and with you included too, and then to see it morph into uh, Roger having us into, you know, having you and your band and different solo configurations or your full band and then me and the piano bar. It's been, it's been pretty amazing to see it happen. It, it started out uh, with an interesting timing right when I was kind of starting with playing with Ruthie. And uh, actually Bernard Allison and, and Roger Neighbor were talking and Roger was, was looking for, for other piano bar hosts, you know, and piano players. And, and my friend Bernard Allison had said, you should check out Scotty Miller. And so Roger reached out and at the same time. He had already lined up Ruthie um, for that same cruise. And, um, and so it worked out beautifully that um, I was a part of, you know, her project on the boat as well as doing the piano bar. And, Interesting. Um, yeah, it was really cool how it worked out. Um, and you know how Roger and, and the other bands on board like to do that. And, uh, Definitely. You've got different different piano players from different bands playing in the piano bar, et cetera, et cetera, mixing it up, you know. Yeah, I um, think that's something that's come become more, uh, it's come more center stage um, in recent cruises as that as the blues cruises evolved i feel like the camaraderie and the jamming has really kind of morphed into this more organic for lack of a better word organic you know uh these little moments these snippets in time whether it's at the piano bar or whether it's downstairs in the basement you know california honey drops had a big they're they're like kind of millennial vibe that they brought to the table really i think changed it uh to a certain degree and made it a lot more interesting of a jam. Yeah. You know, jam scenario rather than the big pro jam or the pro am jam where everything was very segregated and, uh, more formalized. This looseness has now transferred over. Like for example, to your last time we were on the ship, we were, you were doing a, a stream of consciousness with, uh, you know, just, just some, mm -hmm. you were, you were trying out some unique ideas and yeah. everybody was supporting in a, in a really unique way. And I think, as I recall, there might've been one person that was just like a, just a cruiser, you know, just a, a guest, a paying guest uh -huh. as part of the band as well. So that, I think that is a unique change in the, you know, in recent times and an evolution for the, for the blues cruise and for other cruises. Yeah, it has, hasn't it? It's, it's, it's brought it together in a whole nother pocket, you know, whole nother, <laughs> this jams within jams within jams on that ship and yeah. uh and, and that's how it should be just open it up you know it might be the middle of the day and somebody's playing the piano in one of those off rooms or sitting down playing a guitar and singing and you know just just maybe even practicing or or hanging out and you know right. playing in a quiet quiet corner and all of a sudden there's 30 people around it becomes one of the most special moments on the whole week you know what i mean exactly and, and that yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's that organic kind of thing has certainly evolved. And yeah, the last time doing that that and and doing it with you, the uh, you know experimenting for the first time with some of that spoken word poetry, improv, piano stuff, it was you know it's like oh let's give this a shot. I don't know what all the blues cruisers are gonna think of this, but 
man, it just turned out to be this great jam. And, you know, Brandon Temple on drums from Ruthie, he came in and played, and you played. Johnny Bones and and, uh, Lorenzo Loera Loera from uh, The Honey Drops. Exactly. um, You know, yeah, it really turned into something special. I'm so glad that, that somebody actually videoed that so I could you know, archive that and, and look back. It was a, just a blast. Yeah, definitely. Now tell me more about Bernard Allison. Did you, uh, uh, make a connection with him because of his time spent in Minneapolis? Yeah. Well, it goes back kind of to, uh, earlier days in the late nineties. I was playing with, uh, a local blues icon, big John Dickerson and right. uh, blue chamber and uh, we were with Cannonball Records and uh, recorded an album together, Arms of the Blues. And we're doing a lot of touring, um, you know, around here as well as over in Europe and, and a lot of East Coast, down South stuff too. Um, and I think that's how I, and I met, you know, Bernard in, in person because uh, some of those guys were friends with Bernard. And, and we became friends. And so... Uh, and then later, after I left uh, the Big John Dickerson crew in like 99, 2000, 2001, somewhere in there, I, I started to do my own thing. A couple years after that, uh, had my band open for Bernard at a local place called The Caboose. Yeah. And so that sort of cemented our connection. And shortly after that, Bernard and, and Roger at the Blues Cruise uh, had that conversation, you know. I got you. Um, and I think he just thought of me as, you know, hey, piano player, Scotty, you know, give him a call, see what he's yeah. doing, you know. Very cool. So, and that Arms of the yeah. Blues record that you recorded with Big John Dickerson, that was produced by Jim Gaines, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. What was it like yeah, working man, with what, Jim Gaines of Stevie Ray Vaughan, Carlos Santana fame? That must have been a cool experience. So cool. Such a great experience. Um it we I just I have really fond memories of that that session um, that week or two in the studio with Jim. Uh, he was a just a beautiful human being, you know, really laid back, really on top of it, very hands on on the board um, and all the gear in the studio, right. not just you know not just hanging out observing, right. but moving buttons and you know tweaking compressors and EQs and everything else. And then, um, you know, and working with him on like some piano, uh, piano stuff. And I recall him saying, yeah, man, yeah, Scotty, that do that gliss again, you know, like glissando Uh where you, you know, run your thumb down the keys and, yeah, you know, he called it a gliss. He's like, do that (laughs) gliss again. And, you know, hit it again, hit that gliss again later in the song, Scotty. (laughs) Uh, The Memphis um, thing. Yeah. And, (laughs) You know, he was really tuned into that, um, uh-huh. and we hung out and had, uh, you know, I'd drive him back to his hotel a couple of times after the sessions, and we stopped and have a burger down at Bunkers in Minneapolis, one of our music venues here, and, right. um, you know, he talked about just how much he enjoys producing, that he just loves it, that it's yeah. really fun for him. He's like, you know, yeah, you'd be... You'd be good at that too, Scotty. You should do it too. You'd enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Maybe it's something you you get into. So it's kind of that kind of conversation, you know. Yeah. Um, supportive, friendly, nurturing. I'm always and, interested uh, in hearing about these producers because I I've had the opportunity to work with the type of producer like you just described, Jim, where 
they're very hands-on mm-hmm. they're all over the you know all over the the uh the console making tiny tweaks like really like an engineer that's that's in charge mm-hmm. of of the tonality of the record and then the on the opposite end of the spectrum the uh you know the rick rubin zen master thumbs up thumbs down type of a of an approach i've also uh-huh. I, i've had that that experience as well, not to the degree of the Rick Rubin thumbs up, thumbs down, nor have I worked with Rick Rubin, but uh, I find it fascinating that both types of production are valid. Uh, I kind of always thought, ah, this guy's just lucky and that he's got, you know, great taste and he can just do thumbs up, thumbs down. But there is a lot deeper um, uh-huh. mojo, for, you know, at, at play when, when you're just standing back. And, and oftentimes, like Rob Ferboni is a guy I'm thinking of who is yeah. certainly a guy who um, who knows his way around a console, but he's just gotten to the place now where he's just letting it ride and uh, yeah, right. doing, doing the Zen Buddha thing until ah, 1176 <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Very unique. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, lots yeah, of different incredible. styles. So you recorded that record in Minneapolis. Then. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. And you descri- you're describing all these cool places that I've always uh, I'm aware of. I haven't been to all of Caboose, um, bunkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this yeah. is we're, you're getting you're circling in on the uh, you know holy ground of of Minneapolis, and I don't know what it is about Minneapolis that produces yeah. so many great musicians. You have any any thoughts on that? Yeah, man, it, it it is a special place uh, musically and artistically. Um, you know, it it for for such a you know really a small city, a small market. You know, up right. on the border of Canada here. You know, we're kind of kind of tucked way up here, and uh, you know, comparatively to say meccas like L.A., New York, Austin, Nashville. New Orleans, et cetera, Chicago. Um, it is a vibrant community and a small community. And, uh, you know, uh, I just, I, you know, I can't tell you all about the, the history and whatnot and where it might've come from. Um, right. you know, Prince had a, a huge impact as did a lot of other, uh, bands you know replacement suburbs there's i mean the list goes on and on i can't even get into that but Mm -hmm. um um currently you know and for years now you've got uh musicians like the peterson family you know ricky peterson billy peterson would play with the you know everyone from steve miller band to um to uh, um, Ben Sidron, to Fleetwood Mac, to Bonnie Raitt, you know, Ricky P on organ and keys. And uh, people like like that family and, and J.D. Steele and the Steels, the whole mm-hmm. gospel family, um, that continue, have for years and just continue to, to tour on a big level and right. record and, and, and garner Grammys and, you know, it's it's just interesting to see because they love they love Minneapolis they love the Twin Cities and um, and they they stay here and they still live here and they come back here and yeah. circulate in the in the venues and play with other people and their studios are here and and, and et cetera et cetera yeah um, I, and they I teach thought, here 
Yeah, I felt I felt early on when I, you know, being from Houston, Texas, and and looking at Minneapolis and playing there at Famous Dave's on a you know recurring basis, I I kind of oh, yeah. attributed the the uh, extreme proficiency on a lot of guys' instruments to the facts that the fact that they couldn't go outside, they just had to stay in their basement and practice. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you got a right. point there. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's a that's an oversimplified view of it, but it does seem <laughs> that 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 combined with you know these families that are you know, uh, they're pulled back consistently to you know that yeah. they don't leave and spread out and go to LA and stay there they all kind of uh, get pulled lured back for whatever reason and then it's become this yeah, kind of right. inside this inside place for people like even Prince pulled his band uh, you know the New Power Generation right um, am I saying that yeah. MPG yeah MPG came from the just MPG. guys yeah, yeah playing around around Minneapolis so. There's That's something right. said for yeah. it. Sonny T and Michael Bland and Tommy Elm, Tommy Barbarella. Yeah. You know, and we were <sighs> there at the Fine Line Cafe when those guys were getting picked up. We were there the night they found out they got picked up as the new power, power generation, and it was an exciting time. You know? Man, I bet. I bet. And Prince would come down and watch them and the different bands, the, the bands that they were playing in at the Fine Line. And um, I remember a time when prince came in with his bodyguard and i had a a writing partner john heinen a singer songwriter that i worked with for years uh <clears throat> with our own band t-minus two it was called it's kind of r&b and funk and stuff like that and and so i mean we were of course <clears throat> huge you know prince fans and right. he came in and we asked his bodyguard could we meet prince you know <laughs> <laughs> well let me go ask and uh the guy went, a security guard went and asked him, and he nodded and grinned, and we went over and shook his hand. He was very nice, and he didn't say much. That was it, but that's all it took. You know, we were right. We were flying flying on cloud nine, just just meeting him as such as with his sweet smile. Right, and that was at a sh that that show when those guys, those NPG cats, were up, you know, playing, and after the show ended, with the news hit that that they'd been you know hired in and. uh Everybody was just so excited for him, you know. Man, I bet. Uh, Amazing. See that, see that happen. That was fun. Yeah. Good memory. Totally. And then you got, uh, not long ago, you got to play with Prince right before he passed, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a, just a t total blessing. Yeah, I was doing a uh, Ray Charles tribute uh, show. I don't do a whole lot of that. Um mm -hmm. It's probably the first or second thing I've ever even done like that. But I joined uh, uh, one of our truly talented local icons is a guy named Mick Sterling. And he puts together various tribute shows. And this particular one was on Ray Charles. And it was the first show. Uh, it was a sold-out audience at the Chanhassen Dinner Theater, which is right out by Paisley Park. And Prince came in and showed up on a surprise whim and got up and, and, and jammed. Uh, he took three solos just out of nowhere. Um, who's playing guitar? You know, it was Prince. Everybody looked <laughs> back and gasped for air, and, and he wow. hit the uh, the bassy version of uh, uh, Let the Good Times Roll. Right. You know, and nobody knew he was there. He was in the wings, and he his security guard asked uh, Steve Morgan, our guitar player for the show, for his... Uh, um, first, I think he asked for 
like a set list or something. And then he asked for the guitar pick. And then he motioned to give him his guitar. And Prince just came out blazing and wow. went right into this solo. <clears throat> so it was it was so cool, man. I was in actually um, my second run of my solo on piano during the tune. And, it, and the second turn around got cut off by this blazing guitar solo. I thought, that's cool. You know how it is, you know, yeah, audibles, right. you know. Sure. Mix yelling across the stage, take another one, I thought he said. And yeah. and uh, instead, uh, you know, Prince came in playing, so no big deal, like someone misheard the cue or whatever. Right. So then I'm way downstage, and I turn back and look, and I'm like, dang, that's a nice solo. <laughs> a nice guitar solo. Man, that's tasty. <laughs> and I look back and realize who it is playing. It's not our guy, Steve Morgan. It's Prince. And it's the same, you know, that same reaction came from the audience and I'm sure. people just lost their minds. It was like the Beatles were up there, you know, the ladies were gasping for air. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, screams and whimpers and it was a frenzy. Wow. And uh, yeah, sure enough, that was actually the last public performance with a band. Um, yeah that that he made and we just we heard that sad news just three three and a half weeks later goes on the road with ruthie in canada mm -hmm. and saw this headline coming into a hotel lobby on the television and i couldn't believe it i thought someone was you know yeah creating a a, a, a lie or a rumor on tv or something is yeah no way so a very yeah. sad loss and also a huge blessing that have that time i mean so exactly yeah. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember when Prince passed and Tom Petty passed like very close to the same time. And those are like two yeah. of my biggest musical idols, the, that pair. And to lose them so closely together, it just, just boggled my mind. I just thought, like you mm -hmm. said, I, I thought somebody's playing a cruel joke. And I got a text about Tom Petty and the same thing. I'm like, no way. This isn't happening. But, ah, you yeah. know, life is short, man. Yeah. You just got to enjoy it. That's, that's a fact. Yeah, we really Walker is one other guy I wanted to cover while we were talking about Minneapolis because what you know I oh, noticed yeah. I happened to notice that when you received your Minnesota Blues Hall of Fame induction 2017, mm -hmm. which congratulations on that. That's 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 oh, really thank cool. You had. Yeah, uh, that same year I think we Willie Walker was uh, given a some type of similar award for was it a recording maybe. That he done he had done that year I can't remember it maybe you don't yeah know. I believe it I believe it was recording of the year yeah. Um, yeah in the in the Minnesota Blues Hall of Fame yeah yeah so the, and yeah. we Willie Walker you know I, I think of him as you know just for, for a little backstory uh, he was a guy who who was on Blues Cruise frequently you were friends with him you were aware yeah. that he was a super talented and had been a super talented uh, performer. And yeah. I recall uh, Rick Estrin. Were you there when Rick Estrin called him up that first time, and he did, he gave this very passionate introduction? Um, yeah, to, to allow him to I, sit in, and I was like, I, I mean, remember. It, yeah, it was amazing because Rick I, Rick basically. I remember made the it point. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made yeah, the point he started that, the, that he was he couldn't believe yep. that this guy was was a guest. And he absolutely had to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, had to be on the stage. And, you know, w Willie Walker went on to 
to sit in with Ruthie, went on to, uh, he just did so many cool things. And, and, you know, we lost him recently as well, which was just heartbreaking, Yeah, you know, in a different way, but, but at the same time, just unbelievable. Yeah, truly. Yeah. That was an incredible thing to see. Yeah. He, it, Willie and his wife, Judy would just be guests on the cruise for years and just hanging out, sit in or not, whatever. Right. Laid back, cool dude. I'm like, Willie, what are you doing? Are you When are you playing? He's like, we're just hanging, you know? Yeah. I'm like, now, what? Was he, was he a guy that you came across? Did he did he gig regularly in, in Minneapolis? Yeah, quite a bit. Oh, he did. Okay. Interesting. Quite a bit. Uh, there were there were streaks of, of time and years uh, with different uh, configurations where he was playing more often. But yeah, he, he was quite active in the Twin Cities, you mm. know, and. I first heard him way back again when I was with uh, playing with, still playing with Big John Dickerson, and he got up and and played "Can I Change My Mind" with with Big John, and it was just ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I mean, my jaw just dropped. The soul and the it was like, wait a minute, this is like, who is that? Yeah, and so it, you know, and he was very dear friend and supportive. Uh, um, he and his wife, Judy, would come out to uh, a lot of our local band shows and, and, and support. Um, he was at our CD release at the Dakota Jazz Club a few years back. and um, So whenever he was out there in the audience, man, I was like, okay, it, you know, better, game on. Right, I got to bring the A game. Bring the A game completely. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. God now, bless we- him and... We love them. Yeah. So when you started out uh, musically, I'm talking about when you were a mm-hmm. kid, did you, what, mm-hmm. what, what took you to blues music? I mean, I, I know that you, uh, anybody that knows you and knows your musicianship knows that you've got a deep, deep catalog of stuff you can pull from and you've got a lot of capability and dexterity, uh-huh. you know, like that, that skill level is, is very high. And I admire that in you a lot. I, I'm curious, oh, like you. when it, when it kind of got to a place for you where, I mean, you could easily be doing, you know, some sort of fusion or, or jazz or something like that. And I'm, I'm curious when, when the, the moment came where you started taking and you, you know, realized that you had a gift and you had that type of talent and then when the moment was that you, you know, chose to, uh, really kind of hang your hat in the blues world. Cause I, as much as, mm-hmm. as much skill as you have, it's not like you have to, Oh, I can do this and I can do that. And I can also do blues. It's not like that at all. You're a blues guy for sure. Mm-hmm. You just happen to have really mm-hmm. deep, deep skills, uh, that you can call on anytime. So how did yeah, that, thanks, how did that transition? Man. How did that, how did that come to be? Yeah, you, you you explained it well. Uh, you know that because with my different backgrounds in music, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. as as a young kid, started at piano lessons at at six or seven years old, and of course that's all traditional piano, blah, you know, blah blah blah. It's traditional right. studies, and but by like junior high age, I was getting into uh, more classical, and then in eighth grade, got way into jazz. And started studying with a jazz teacher downtown, taking the bus from school every week and going downtown with to McPhail and study with Peter Murray. And and that got me into, you know, <clears throat> more of the, the jazz world. Um, 
Chick Corea, Keith Jarrett, right. Oscar Peterson, stuff like that. And then, um, you know, all through those years too, I was playing a lot of rock. I loved guitar. So yeah. I'd learn, you know, I'm not much of a guitarist, but I could learn solos and I would play a lot of guitar solos from everybody from Aerosmith to Pink Floyd to Led Zeppelin and, you know, beyond. On the guitar? And, and, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would sit with my old Epiphone Crestwood. I got a 1964 uh, Epiphone Crestwood guitar. Nice. I still got it. It's the only electric I have, <laughs> but I love it. And I would just sit with a crate amplifier and like a glow in the dark, you know, guitar cable, one of those old glow in the dark ones. And, <laughs> um, and sit down with uh, on my green shag carpet and just blaze through solos you know i couldn't play chords very well at all power chords maybe yeah but i could play the solos you know um and i could hear them and play them and relate to it and and i just loved doing that um, wow and, and just trying to learn and play along with the solos to these just all these different tunes like i said you know zeppelin or floyd or uh i mean i tons of other stuff but did you understand um, musically why those solos worked? Like, did you understand from the perspective of <clears throat> music theory why, you know, he went to the, you know, he was playing the third over the, you know, whatever, whatever the scenario was. Not but really. No, you just like. Not really. You just knew where to put your fingers or somewhere in between that. Yeah, I think it was just more of a, of a, a melodic thing, you know, mm -hmm. like some of those, some of those great solos, like, right. like, uh. Pink Floyd solos, you know, um, that you can sing along so, to. You, right, you can like sing every note, can't you? Right, and yeah. they're so hooky, just every single note is like, I don't know, so memorable and and passionate, and you can just it's in it gets into you to right. where you could sing it, and I think that's where I, I I related to somehow or or could latch onto it. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny too, as you bring it up, it's like. It makes me think. Uh, um, I also played a little trumpet and then tuba in in high school bands, and uh, and the, on the other end of the spectrum, I I really listened to bass. You know, yeah. um, <clears throat> the I, I hear the bass parts come out more than anything, mm -hmm. and and melodic solos like that, and um, and sort of filter through to that, but. Anyway, to, to kind of move forward through like that, the, your question about, you know, getting into blues sometime around like, you know, that younger age of, I don't know, sixth or seventh grade, I, I got onto a few different boogie woogie books too. Right. So yeah. I had, I didn't just have classical or jazz or rock. I had boogie woogie piano stuff coming already through in my piano playing and I loved it. I loved mm -hmm. it. You know, I just didn't, I don't know if I knew yet where to go with it um, right. or where I would end up going. So then move forward to, you know, getting out of high school and I went to Berkeley college of music for a year and studied of course, uh, uh, mostly jazz, but yeah, all styles. Exciting. And, um, I'll ask you more about that. And in a minute. so, yeah. And I think, um, then I, then, you know, uh, coming home, you know, like through a lot of my early twenties, I was doing, 
you know, R&B, funk, a lot more pop stuff with a big band that was on the road and um, dance stuff. Um, and when I departed from that in the late, in my late twenties is when I started to get more into roots, you know, rootsy type, type music. Right. Um, I got rid of all the samplers and the sequencers and the computer driven computer, you know, keyboard heavy stuff. Right. Um, and, and bought a, you know, an acoustic guitar and a mandolin and focused on getting 88 weighted keys on any keyboards I had along with my upright piano. Yeah. And started to get more roots oriented, blues, bluegrass, um, folk singer songwriter styles. Um, you know, and then that morphed later, uh, a few years later into like, okay, I left big John Dickerson. That was all blues. And, um, so this is about what? 99. Yeah. Uh, wrote that first batch of stuff that's on my first album, the other side, it's all that barrel house piano stuff. Started to really get into the new Orleans yeah. um, styles more so as, as what I was composing. And, right. And so were you, were you all along yeah. writing music, writing material and, and writing lyrics specifically, or did that just come out of necessity? How did you feel about that when it started to take shape? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was writing and composing all through all these years. Um, and um, as I left the uh, sort of R&B pop stuff of T-minus two pop, if you will, I don't mm. know. Um, my partner, John Heinen, he was the singer, the main singer. And he mainly did a lot of the lyrical work and I did a lot of the composition and production. Um, I see. But then it started to be, you know, it started to become kind of an even split as far as co-writing on lyrics. Yeah. And then as I left Big John and did my first album, of course, I was I was doing everything on my my own and lyrics sure. and wanted to create piano music that if you're just left by yourself on a solo gig for instance with a piano and a voice that you could create an environment where people would would want to dance, you know? So Yeah that led me to that barrel house slash stride kind of feel that has enough movement just right. with piano to where people might be able to move to it, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of how my, my songwriting took shape by, you know, by observation, basically I was the guitar player, one of the guitar players in a band that the principal songwriter who was very talented. Um, you know, I just kind of got to, you know, observe how he went about the function of it. And he was about, I don't know, four or five years older than me. So he, his name's Drew Wilson, super talented guy, still writing great songs in Austin, Texas. But, um, he definitely mm. was the type of person who we'd sit down and listen to something on his record player. And then he'd say, you know, if you're going to do this thing, you gotta, you're gonna have to write your own songs. And then that, it, it mm -hmm. wasn't like any, any more pressure than that. And then the next thing, you know, we're in a band together and I'm just, learning by osmosis and at sure. some point realized that, yeah, I can, I could probably do this. It wasn't until I switched over to, yeah. you know, graduating from college and moving away from college station, Texas, which is where we were doing our band and getting to Houston that I kind of moved to the role of sideman slash songwriter or, or co-writer, you know, in that capacity. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's kind yeah. of a similar 
similar path to getting to the songwriting component of it. And I, right, and I, I totally, I can understand like man. where you are coming from as far as trying to move people with your instrument without the support of a band and choosing that style, uh -huh. that barrel house style, like you said, because that's, that's kind of what we're up against, what I'm up against now trying to do these house concerts. You know, I feel mm -hmm. that same urgency to make, you know, create the energy that a band has and not necessarily knowing how to do it or, or, you know, you know what I mean? It's that, that kind of dilemma yeah. that, that goes with it. Yeah. 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 When you're, when you're just solo, your voice and your instrument like that, um, you know, a lot of times, yeah, it's like, do you, do you take it to the acoustic sort of quietish, you know, uh, just sing your songs and it's, it's more of a, uh, I don't know what the word is, docile or gentle or, right. which, you know, it's great. It's great. It's that acoustic side, right? Definitely. Or can you still amp it up like you do, you know, with your, your solo shows, I've seen you a number of times, um, where you bring the energy, uh, and yeah, that's a, it's a fun thing to toggle. You know, I, I've, I've right. been doing a few live, live streams from home and, uh, one of them, I mixed it up with the poetry and the spoken word and the piano improv and, and originals. I even did a couple covers and upbeat couple ballads, blah, blah, blah. It was like all over the place. And then I did the next one. It was, uh, because a couple people were like, oh, you should just, Scotty, do all danceable stuff. We're going to have a dance party in our living room, you know? We don't really? have to drive. We're quarantined. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to drink more. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, I specifically like said, okay, every tune's going to be up. And um, and it went over really well. You know, it was really fun. Interesting. Um, so did you get, did you sense that one was working better than the other? Or was it just um, like you know, when, you, when you did it? Yeah, well, yeah, I think it just happened to be um, that the, that second one that was real danceable was real well attended on, on my Facebook page. You I know? gotcha. Um, it's amazing the support out there. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, the second show that one was a little more attended. Hmm. Um, but then, you know, last night I went live for one song, just impromptu. I, the candles lit, the lights were down. It was 10 30 at night. And I, and I just, you know, you know how it's been. You just you kind of just itching to 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 perform or exactly, or, you know, to get your to have that exchange um, right. with people. So I did, you know, my song Grace last night. You know, it's big, big ballad, right? Big road song. Um, you know, spiritual slash being on the road, uh, missing your loved ones. Uh, but also talking about the spirituality of, of uh, you know, when we get to the end of this life, um, that grace will will lead us home, um, and where we can finally kind of just sigh and breathe and relax and be at peace, you know. Right. Um, but so yeah, that was a fun time just to break it down and go go with a ballad, and. And, uh, but people definitely like to move even at their, even stuck in their homes, man. You know, right. I had people 
come you know chiming in on my facebook stream on that that one upbeat one and they were like we're dancing now you know cool. i've got the wine out i have my shoes off i'm barefoot and oh know. my gosh so i yeah. you know you and i both are in a unique position to be able to do both solo and band type shows and yeah. uh I can recall, you know, coming to your cabinet on Blues Cruise and telling you, man, I'm going to go out and do as many house concerts as I possibly can do. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I've done I've done those, you know, kind of. And, and I, I got the sense from you. And I want to I want to ask you the question, um, where do you how do you feel about doing the energy of doing a solo show? You've got a solo album as well. Uh, uh-huh. Would you release that about uh, yeah. four or five yeah. years ago? Yeah, probably, uh, I think it goes back to like 2007, I think, living oh. between the black and white. No, I'm and, thinking, of, and then I'm there's thinking a, of the live, the live and, and, and the home concert album. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the home, uh, the home, uh, show was, yeah, that was about six, uh, I don't know what, 2000, God, 2013, <laughs> something like Time that. Time flies. Yeah, yeah. wow. <laughs> Oh man, there's so many years have passed. But yeah, that that one uh, was a DVD, but I yeah. also sell the audio to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I got like, a couple solo things out. How does that How does that play for you? Like as far as when you go out and do these things, you and I both know that the effort required to get a band together and go out and do gigs that can support everybody is infinitely harder more difficult than you know putting together solo stuff but we still strive to do it yeah uh, yeah is it just that yeah, and you just described the you know craving the energy that you get from people that are up and moving um that's kind of how i am about it there's there's something that comes from the you know the 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 musical conversations that are happening on stage that just peaks uh peaks me higher than than doing a solo thing, even though the interaction from the audience, the energy there does is, 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 is as high for me as it is on a band show. Do you feel the same uh-huh. way? Yeah, I, I do. I do. It, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Um, you know, uh, at one point I'll just, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be like, yeah, I miss solo gigs. Well, do a few of those and you start to miss a band gig, right? you know? Exactly. You know how it is. And, uh, they both have their, their merits and yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad we can both do both. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> um, cool. Cause yeah. You, uh, you know, I think if all I could do is solo, I would certainly miss my band and the power of that exchange right. with the other guys. Uh, so and th- there's um, something but, about you know, presenting you're right. too. There's something about presenting a a a rehearsed presentation and doing it well that that uh, you know for me is yeah. different than you know jumping up like you and I have both been in the situation of having uh, uh, a guest band you, when you were in Australia. Didn't you have a uh, didn't you have a band that was yeah. like a yeah. yeah I did yeah I had a basically the rhythm section for the Dave Hole band okay. uh, back in me. And, um, this is in Australia, uh, Roy right? Daniels and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Out in Perth in Western Australia. Right. So my first tour and then two other ones after that. So I did three of them 
uh, where I worked with those guys and, you know, sent them tunes and, and uh, charts ahead of time and then had a rehearsal. Okay. And off we went, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, was, a, that was an experience. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I love those guys. They were lovely guys. And uh, the bass player, Roy Daniels, just passed uh, just a few weeks ago, hmm. sadly. And it was it was it was uh, hard to hear that he had been struggling um, with cancer, yeah. um, and but man, it's just the the memories popped up of what a great time we had right. uh, together, and he really uh, was a lovely lovely human being, so supportive, and <clears throat> um, they worked with Johnny Johnson a lot when he would go over to okay. Australia. They were, and so. Uh, through friends of his i that's how i i you know ended up reaching those guys to back me but yeah nice. that was a different experience you know it's not it's not the same as your tight band that you've been working with for years and knows right. everything it's different and so you have to just sort of you know let go and and have some fun exactly and um it was a good growing experience for me you know definitely and you you know uh I've not toured Australia before. You know, it's been so cost prohibitive to try to do something yeah. of that nature. You know, you get it's all you can do to get the records down there, get a few uh a few album reviews, et cetera, but to try to mount a full tour so to me is like too daunting, at least to the, at this yeah. to, up to now. Um it is tough. It is tough. And how did you like it when you did I, as I recall you did some shows with Ruthie Foster and you were able to stay, you know, cut some of those costs from having to, you know, fly over on your own. At least that first round, that was that a Ruthie thing that, yeah, that you, at least got you, got you over there and you were able to stay and continue gigging. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, really helpful to, uh, on the first tour to join, um, uh, Ruthie on one of her first gigs on her tour was all the way over on the, you know, it was the Byron Bay Blues Fest Sister Festival West Coast. Okay. They call it. So it's like the sister festival to it on the other coast in Perth. Um, or Fremantle, wherever it was, but but Western Australia. So she let me, uh, you know, uh, join the band and play that festival. Um and that that just really helped promotionally speaking. Oh yeah. Um, not only to to have <laughs> friends, <laughs> you know, to kickstart my first experience all the way over there, uh, but promotionally. Um, hey, you know, all the radio interviews that I lined up and and everything, all the promo uh, had a little extra push because of that playing that fest with Ruthie. You know, so Scotty, you just got done playing West Coast, did you? You know, how'd <laughs> yeah. it go for you? You know, good on you, mate. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, yeah, and I'm continuing a tour now with my <laughs> with my guys here for the next three and a half weeks. Come on out. So it, it really did help push it along. Um, yeah. But financially, you're not kidding. It's, uh, it, you know, it's tough. It's tough the, uh, uh, you know, yeah, it's, the taxes and the money and the blah blah blah. It's a it's a lot of overhead to try to handle, and you got to handle it all up front. Yeah. Um, 
like a lot of situations. Um, but especially from over there, you don't really get paid till, uh, you know, usually a couple of weeks after you get home. Um, mm. you know, and, uh, <clears throat> taxes and everything and overhead flights and food transportation. It's, it's pretty tough. Yeah. But man, what a, what a great, great place. I, I worked with the guys at the Perth blues club out there. They're an amazing organization, blue society, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, played various venues and the, the Ellington jazz club, um, the Bridgetown blues fest, and uh, a lot of little joints in between um and we had a we had a great time you know it's it uh, people don't realize i don't think that when you start touring like i can recall when i first started touring my longest tour you know i got i went to europe and Mm -hmm. germany maybe uh, germany is where i started in europe and uh as i recall i was there for like maybe three weeks and by the end of it, man, I was just homesick, you know, it was like, and it felt like I was on Mars and then mm-hmm. I can't, you know, did it a few times and it got to be old hat. And then I ended up going to Russia after that. And it was like back on Mars again. Wow. I, I can only assume that going to Australia, uh, you felt that same, you know, on Mars kind of feeling <laughs> that, that you get yeah. from being in a new, you know, strange place. That, and after a few times of going, I, you know, I would assume also that, uh, and I've been told this by other uh, people, friends of mine that have been to Australia, that you're so flip flopped from everything, uh, that it's hard to yeah. like reach out and, and talk to any of your friends cause they're all asleep while you're awake, et cetera. So it's like a yeah, really yeah. weird, weird uh, and lonely kind of dynamic that can happen. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah, yeah, man. I didn't know you went to, Ru- I didn't know you played in Russia. Yeah. I played in That's Moscow for two never... weeks. Uh, uh, just a, okay house gig it was very cool it was very interesting uh i'm glad i'm glad i got to do it it was in february and it was as cold as you could imagine it being in february in (laughs) moscow but it was fun (laughs) mainly like a lot of expats yeah a lot of expats came to see us there were big brawl type fights in the bars and it was chaos man it was it was like the wild west over there wow yeah wow what a what a time. Definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely, I always described it as I felt, you know, especially that first first and second tour over there that I just felt flipped upside down, you mm-hmm. know, um, if the world didn't turn, you know, I just felt like I was oscillated over there upside down, you know. Right. The sky was different. The stars were different. There's the Southern Cross, you know, everything was upside down and yeah, you know, what 13 15 16 hours uh 16 and a half you right. know hours um difference <laughs> and, you know um you know i could call home and tell you what was going to happen before it happened you know right and um totally different experience yeah definitely and and especially then before you know i mean i was we were flipping sim cards into different phones and had a phone for local calls and you're trying to figure out how to call home on a blackberry without costing you know 300 bucks and right um took a little bit to get used to it and and get in the groove on on how to stay in contact but um luckily i had some beautiful people out there that that put me up warren humphreys and his wife libby 
let me stay at their house, help me get around. Um, you know, Warren is with the uh, Perth Blues Club out there. Nice. And so he was kind of like my, my, uh, you know, liaison. Yeah. You know, I think that's um, key, man. If you're out there trying to, you know, bust a new market or something like that, it's those people that are like where the rubber meets the road, letting you stay in their house mm-hmm. or those types of things. I've gotten to the place now where I do, when I do house concerts, it's kind of my goal as much as possible to stay in people's homes rather than to, I mean, I could always mm-hmm. go to a hotel. That's not a, I've been, we've all been in a million hotels, but there's something unique about mm-hmm. the experience where, and I've gotten to the age now where I'm looking for a unique, uh, more of an adventure than, you know, just another day in a, in a hotel. I've kind of gotten really, yeah. really warmed up to, you know, staying in people's guest rooms and trying to be the best guest I can possibly be and uh, spending time right. drinking coffee in the morning with these people and talking about their lives. That's, that's a unique experience that not everyone gets. Truly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's remarkable what you've been doing with the, with your house concerts and doing that and that personal contact. And, you know, it's just a testament to how cool people can be definitely you know and and you know you might not even know them um very well at least and uh there's that goodwill and civility and respect and uh support you know that's a that's a pretty cool thing yeah uh to to see what you're doing with all that yeah i mean between that doing house concerts which i love trying to keep my band uh you know doing cool things here and there when, when we can. And then of course the sideman gig, the, the Ruthie Foster gig is, is near and dear to my heart. And in the same way, I'm sure that it is with you. And I think that, you know, oh, yeah. that's, that's being a, a, you know, a full-time well-rounded musician, being able to do those different things. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have, you and I haven't really talked that much. I know that you were, um, a sideman for Bo Diddley and that's how you met Ruthie. Um, is right. that, was, was that like a, like just like one tour or did you do a lot of Bo Diddley work? Seems like she, he's off, off yeah. oftentimes he just picks up bands or he was picking up bands, uh, when he came through Houston. Yeah, he, he did a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I met up with kind of the, the St. Louis cast of, of players that were working with him, um, <clears throat> around uh it, it happened around johnny johnson's johnny be good right uh, his memorial okay his, uh, when he passed and the memorial concerts that ensued around st louis at that time johnny being from st louis and me being invited to play and that's kind of how that started where i met different guys that Bo had picked up from that area okay and then met his manager chris tuttle and uh margo lewis from there and then that that Bo Diddley and Friends tour was put together um of which Ruthie was on and going all the way back now to 2006 yeah so uh I did a you know a, a, the memorial shows and then maybe a few other things prior to the actual tour I got you and then yeah then like a year later in 2006 the tour came together which was just a it was a two month uh two month tour forty cities uh with Ruthie and Alvin Youngblood Hart killing it yeah and he's a great performer so that's where that you know I met them but that was the end of my my bow touring um and uh 
you know, unfortunately then he, he passed not even a, a year, I don't know, about a year later. I got you. Um, on, on a different tour. Um, and then Ruthie, so, yeah, Ruthie yeah. and you created a bond on that, on that particular tour and she kept your number and yeah. lo and behold called you when yep. she was it about the time she got picked up by, uh, um, oh gosh, Rosebud by, um, uh, Rosebud. Yeah, I think, uh, pretty close probably. Um, if she wasn't already, it did happen shortly thereafter. Yeah. Where she got picked up with Mike Kappas and Rosebud. But, uh, yeah, she, she held onto my number and she was, you know, uh, asking me a lot as we became good friends on that tour, uh, that she mentioned that she didn't play too often up in the Twin Cities in right. Minneapolis, St. Paul. And what what venues might you recommend? And I I just remember saying, oh, the Dakota Jazz Club would be great. And she ended up booking it. And then so uh, she called and said, hey, you want to join us on the Dakota gig? And so that was the first time I played with her and Samantha cool banks and tanya richardson yeah and so i worked my i worked my buns off to chart out like you know i made a whole book of all her music you know i bet and it was you're that kind of guy excited (laughs) (laughs) you do your homework i try yeah that so that's so cool What, what year was that do you think i'm trying that was 2007 okay uh Probably just, just probably like the fall winter of two thousand seven. Yeah, and um, and then by the summer of '08, she called me back to go out on the first sort of tour, you know, which was um, I don't think you were on that one, were you? The uh, Safeway Festival in Portland. No, um, Safeway Waterfront, and then we went to Nice, France. From there, no, I wasn't. And on then that. flew back, and then we flew back from Nice, France, and played Portland, Oregon, for the uh, um, for Paul Benjamin's festival um, in Portland, Oregon. The uh, <laughs> what's the name? Of it? The uh, I can't think of the name of it for some dumb reason. Um, you've played it. Um, ah, it escapes me. Um, Crazy. So yeah, that was the first kind of, it was, you know, obviously kind of interesting routing, but we were flying and doing festivals. So it was right. a bing, bing, bing. I recall, um, meeting Ruthie in Texas when I was playing across the street from a club. There were two clubs that were across the street from one another and they were both managed by the same guy, Willie Bennett in college station, the same place I would started that band I was talking about earlier with my uh, songwriter friend, Drew Wilson. And I was uh-huh. talking to that club owner, maybe getting paid or something, and he had Ruthie standing next to her, and he said, next to him, this guy, Willie Bennett was his name. And he said, hey, I want uh-huh. to introduce you to this amazing singer, Ruthie Foster. And, and I met her. She was very quiet, as I recall, um, and just kind of like observing. She's that type of person, pretty quiet, just observing. And uh, it just happened that I was playing the one club while Samantha Banks's band was playing the other club. And I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think that's when Ruthie and Samantha met 
was that same night. Oh. We all three met. Wow. Or maybe it could be I could be wrong about that. Maybe she already knew her. I know I met Samantha and I met Ruthie on the same night, but they were not together. So Wow. Um, yeah, and my drummer ended up sitting in with Samantha's band, and then I ended up getting Samantha's number, and before long Samantha became my drummer, at least in the short run, not for a long time. My gigs were all over right. the map and, she, That's and right. she, she had a Brianna, her young child, um, young at the time, uh, child, so she couldn't get away as much as mm-hmm. as we were getting away at the time. But yeah, it's interesting how those <laughs> things work out. So years later, 2000, about the same time you started with Ruthie, I had sent Samantha a, a text saying, hey, if Ruthie ever needs a guitarist, I want to audition. I've watched her on YouTube. Uh-huh. I'm in love. I want to, I want an audition. And yeah. I get a message on MySpace, not on Facebook, on MySpace, which I, <laughs> I had yeah. already kind of stopped checking my messages on MySpace by then. And I had gone back like after two weeks or something and saw this message from Ruthie. And it said, Hey, Samantha says you'd like, an, uh, you, you're interested in playing guitar. Give me a call. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, I, I thought, I, I probably missed my chance. I didn't check my MySpace message in time. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, man. So I call her. And crazy. lo and behold, she hasn't, you know, hired anyone else. And I said, I'm ready to come down there right. and audition whenever you're ready. And she goes, oh, baby, you don't have to audition. You got the gig. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I never man. played with it. It was just Samantha. You know, here we are talking about Samantha, God rest her soul. Uh, Samantha yeah. Banks, who really, really and truly was the de facto band leader behind the scenes, um, yeah, you know, force of nature that she was, um, sure was kind of creating this, what we, what we're all working on now. It, it's kind of yeah. very much her, her energy that created what we do with Ruthie. That's now. true. Yeah. That, that's so true. So yeah, God bless her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing uh, the similarities between the the connecting um, mm-hmm. and how that happens. Um, you know how you ended up connecting through Samantha to to Ruthie and right. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That festival I was trying to remember was uh, the North Atlantic in oh. Rockland, Maine. Okay. Um, so that 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 first Ruthie tour was Portland, Oregon to Nice, France, back to Rockland, Maine for. Paul Benjamin's North Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah man, we've seen some we've seen some great uh journeys and we sure yeah. do miss our Sam, but you're right. She's had such a huge uh effect on all of us that we carry her with us in in everything we do. Yeah. Um and you know, carrying it on. Right. Her influence and, is still uh, is still felt, I think in the band a lot. And I think that the transition from Samantha Banks to Brandon Temple could not have been a smoother transition thanks to his utter professionalism and yeah. you know, just his his deep reverence for her and and for the situation that I to this day admire. Yeah. You know, finding a, a person like that it, it would be it is is hard and we're very fortunate to have transitioned in that way from from truly you know from what we from from such a loss to to such a positive um, influence that we have now with, with Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just an amazing human being and, 
And uh, we always say, you know, Samantha would approve, you know, I mean, <laughs> totally. he's just such a amazing human being and talent. And he's just always so sweet and humble when, you know, we're always saying, oh, Sam used to, Sam would have said, Sam used to say, and, mm-hmm. you know, he just, he's so uh, humble and graceful about the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. I sure do appreciate him. Yep, him and Larry Fulcher both. The uh, Ruthie Foster's rhythm section. Larry Fulcher, of course, Grammy yes. winner, uh, Phantom Blues man. Hopefully, he will be a an, a blues his art podcast guest in uh, in the future. Oh yeah, uh, along yeah, with Brandon, for that matter. Yeah, both of those would be great, great ones. I'd definitely be listening to those. But yeah, Larry's got such a such a history. You know, he does, you know, like when he, when Larry Fulcher started, uh, when I started working in the band with Larry in the band, he was telling me about all these people that he knew. And I was like, how is it possible? I'm not sure this guy really knows all these people. And then, you know, the craziest, <laughs> something crazy, like Gadsden will call him on the phone or Hidalgo or, you know, like some big famous side man be like hey fulch you know they've they've all got nicknames for him and stuff i'm like oh my god this guy's Uh, totally (laughs) totally legit and for real yeah so what what a treat it is to uh to play with them and and it's just amazing that he's got the uh the connection that he does it's his it's his energy that that causes that connection and he's another guy we're we're blessed to to be able to hang with yeah big time I love some Larry. Yeah, man. I text uh, text Ruthie before we got on the phone and said that I'd be doing this uh, interview with you. And she says, hey, tell Haddon, <laughs> hey, love you. Have a good morning. Right on. Very cool. Well, yeah, she's another that I'm, I'm hoping to have on the podcast. And I, I, I don't know how much she wants to talk about what her next project is, but I'm excited to be uh, involved in whatever it is that she does and always excited to... Yes. Uh, provide you know provide input in any way shape or form that i can and i know that's how you feel about her as well she's a a gem to work with oh yeah and a truly truly uh an artist that's that's worth uh that's worthy of all the accolades she's gotten and more yeah big time yep no doubt about it Haddon. Right on, man. Well, uh, I did want to get back to the Berkeley thing real quick because I'm curious. I know we've gone a little, yeah. uh, a good ways here. I wanted to ask uh, about that Berkeley experience because I, I recall yeah. when I graduated from college, um, I got a, a degree in journalism, and uh, all I really wanted to do was go and be in a rock and roll band or a blues band, or you know. And I was fortunate enough to go do that. I was in Lucky Peterson's band for a while. Who Lucky reminds me. Uh, you and he remind me a lot of one another because you're both, you know, extremely talented keyboard players, but you also play stringed instruments and not every piano player is capable of, of understanding the string instruments the way you two guys do. Um, Mm. I think that's fascinating, but, uh, getting off subject that what I wanted to talk about was I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about what it was like to show up at Berkeley. And I've always thought that. Um, a lot of the Berkeley experience hinged on the fact that socially you're hanging out with these monsters from all over the country and learning outside the classroom a lot of things and wanted to get your input Uh on on that component of the 
you know, of the Berkeley experience uh-huh. or anything you want to share. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I forgot you played with Lucky and yeah, man, I don't play guitar like him or keys, but man, is he a burner yeah. or a force. He's super talented. Oh, oh, oh my Lord. Um, yeah, the Berkeley, you know, on the social end, like, <clears throat> it makes me think of uh, all across the street, down the street, there were a couple of venues where uh, there were small cafes that uh, jams and and things would get going. Um, so hanging in those um, was a really cool experience and getting to know a couple of guys. Uh, one guy I can remember, I can't think of his name, of course. It was, you know, many years ago now, but sure. a Brazilian, uh, uh, a Brazilian, uh, pianist, but he was a serious arranger, um, and composer, you know, the guy that can write scores out for, for a big band. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, he was very nurturing. You know, he borrowed me his Tascam four track to work on stuff, helped me record a piano demo. Um, <clears throat> and in other situations where I'd be practicing, you know, eight to 12 hours a day, like everybody did there in the piano room, hold up chain smoking cigarettes, right? you know, in, in a tiny room with an upright piano, along with hundreds of others down the row and guys are, come listen to you in the window and knock on the door and hey man sounds great want to come jam with us oh very cool and and you know these were like seniors and i was a sophomore or whatnot and those situations were were pretty huge i gotta say yeah and on more on more of that sort of external social um out of the practice room out of the classes and lessons um you know those jams were really educational i bet and and yeah you're right so many heavy heavy players um that you were seriously humbled and you also were made aware of your talent right and where you could where you could grow um and and learn that you had a lot of work to do (laughs) so i was left with you know uh so many kids and kids younger than me even um, students from Japan that were just burning up the, the piano. And um, so Berkeley had and probably still has a, I don't know, when I went there in 86, it was like an 80% dropout rate by Christmas. <laughs> wow. So you go on Christmas break and it was an 80% dropout rate because all these first year students go, oh, uh, I think I'm going to get into accounting. Right. You know? Um, or like me, or I a lot of people in a band. switch. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that was the other part of that. I mean, uh, a lot of us left after that first year with that as part of it, you know, we just want to play, man. Right. Nobody wants to, we don't want to know about all this theory. We just want to play, man, which is partially true. Uh, for me personally, it was, uh, money, you know, it was expensive. I couldn't afford it. Sure. Scholarship funds ran out, stuff like that. But what a great experience. And my teacher, Craig Najar out there, my private, uh, teacher for, for private piano, uh, 
took me through like all four years of my proficiency requirements that you would normally do to, you know, at the end of each year to get a, you know, four year degree or whatnot. Right. And he knew I couldn't afford to do it. So he pushed me through it and got me through all four of those. And so, you know, I couldn't have made, made more of a year there, um, any other way. Wow. That's and cool. I'm really grateful for him. Yeah. I mean, I took as much as I could out of that place and I'll, I'll cherish it forever. Um, that's awesome. Beautiful environment. You know, hundreds of kids sitting out in the sun on the sidewalk, smoking cigarettes and waiting to get the, for the real book delivery guy to come by and 50 bucks for you to get your real book, you know? Right. Um, the real book for those who don't, sold them. don't know is, uh, an unofficial book of all the standards. Correct. Am I saying that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All, all the, the musical, um, all the sheet music for all standards. the standards. Yeah. Yeah. Like lead sheets and chord charts. And right. at the time you had to buy it from a guy in the street, you know, and, um, cause they weren't distributed legally. Wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it was sort of the unspoken word where you had to have 50 bucks, you know, and give the guy when he comes around on Tuesdays, you know, and get your book. Yeah. Uh, but it was good times, good times. I bet, man. That's, that's so cool. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I admire, I, I, I often listen to different musicians and there's something about their playing that, that I kind of make note of. And your style of playing to me is I really appreciate, um, the melodic sense that you have and the knowledge that you have but you also have this ability, even if it's like a completely different, you know, modal pattern, melodic pattern, you can still insert this bluesiness in such a relaxed and easy, not a forced or a contrived way. And I think that's a unique thing for you. I, I, I can't name another player who can so deftly insert a bluesiness to melodicism the way mm. that you do. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, wow. yeah, that's, Thank you. I, I'm not trying to blow smoke, man. It's just, it's just a fact. And I think that that's like one thing that I don't know if you consciously have like sat down and thought about how you do that. If it's just like this effortless thing that happens, but you, you're like the master of the blues turnaround in the middle of a melodic situation anytime, anywhere mm. that doesn't sound like, Oh, I just stuck a blue, you know, it never sounds like that. Somehow it it it, yeah. it funnels its way and makes perfect logical sense, even though you don't hear people doing that. Oh, man, thank you so much. I mean, that's a really interesting way that you put that that makes me think of it perhaps differently than I ever have. I, I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. But yeah, I was when curious, you say it, I, I was curious I, if you ever I, like I sat, get it. Yeah, if you ever sat down and thought about that, because the one thing that I mean, I, I have the privilege of standing next to you while you do the intro to Phenomenal Woman. It's never the same twice. I'm always interested in, oh, yeah, in hearing sure. what you do, as I'm interested in hearing any master do their, do their thing, of course. But I, I just noticed that component of your playing that I find intriguing. And, uh, you know, I, it goes by. I, I'm more of a, uh, I, I'm not studying it so much as just noting that it's happening because I'm still engrossed in the performance as it goes by. So I haven't really sure. tried to uh, inject that into my playing, although I would like to if, if it were, if, <laughs> if, I, if I could possibly do that. Oh. But yeah, that's just one thing that I, I, I definitely 
these are the types of moments in this podcast that I want to, you know, point out as same way when I'm talking to sure to anyone is like the, the part of their playing that I find unique and ask more about that. So that's, that's not something that you consciously mm -hmm. worked on so much as it's just like two, two worlds colliding in such a way that it doesn't, that it's not a train wreck. Yeah. Is that right? No, I, I think, I think you nailed it. It's, it's kind of two worlds colliding. It's all of it colliding, but when you when you say it and I think about it, I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I think it comes from that whole thing we talked about earlier with the guitar solos. You know, right? The the melodic. I, well, in a way, what I what I always have I've said this before. Um, as a piano player. Uh, short of a pitch bender wheel thing on the keyboard, you can't bend the notes, you know? Right. You you have to do like grace notes and slide down off of one note into another or create some dissonance because I, I love guitar and I love being able to bend a note. Right. And all, the, all that in between. And I think I'm trying to get that out of the piano mm -hmm. when I'm soloing. That's that's a component that came to mind with, with what you're saying. Right. That, uh, you know, and, and then it's just that feeling you're trying to achieve that. I don't know, get the feeling out through the, through the solo or through the keys. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe it'll go from the melody of the tune is inspiring it or some jazz or classical influence. But then there's like, I, I need more soul. I want to get more of my soul out through yeah. it. And that's where I'm reaching to bend the notes or push it more and, and, you know, leads you more into say what we're talking about with, with a blues move. Yeah. Or, and it's like um, a seamless integration that I find to be the most interesting part of that, because that, that could, that could easily go awry, you know, <laughs> trying to do that, sure. trying to go, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm George Winston yeah. or I'm, I'm, I'm new. I can, I can be a little new age. New Age is a is a bad. Uh -huh. that, that's not the right way to put it. But classical is probably a better way to say what you do. But but like so classical, uh -huh. you know, more like major type runs, and then suddenly, at the end of it, you are creating that blue note, that blue, that dissonant moment that's somehow seems so perfect. The 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 resolution seems to be, it resolves to a place that's like yeah, that just completely made sense. We're in the hands yeah, of someone who wasn't, yeah. who, who's not as adept at it. It would be not so good. That's amazing that you can do that. <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate it. Right on, man. It's just trying to push, really trying to just push that solo out, get, you know, yeah. through your instrument. Definitely. It's like, where is it? What's the outlet, <clears throat> you know, through the keys of what you're feeling? And you want to get it out there and, you know, uh, that's why I just love, you know, it's like I love listening to you play and, you know, solos. And I just love guitar. You know, I love a great guitar player. Um, well, yeah. That can push that and bend those notes out. and It's a different form of expression than the piano itself. Definitely. Uh, so anyway, anyway. <laughs> so know. what are you playing? I know you're writing like crazy. You're using this time wisely. You've got lots of ideas about... Um, well, you've got you're you're interacting a lot with your Facebook uh, followers, doing the the uh, 
yeah the one man concerts yeah. that are streaming i haven't done one yet i'm planning yeah. on doing one i don't know if i can get the type of uh following that you've gotten that's pretty impressive um but you're oh, are, are you using this good are you using this time to write a lot i have i have i'm using this time to uh yeah like you say do the live streams i've actually had uh some pretty good time to write create uh i'm actually preparing a few tunes to bounce that that you and i and ruthie have been working on yeah and sort of building building them up a little bit to where we can uh we can expand uh from our respective cities and homes um and a couple of session things that i'm doing a friend of mine out in montana works with a couple of different uh blues bands and he's sent some tracks to me to lay some piano and Hammond on, which I'm doing from home. Nice. Uh, working on a a uh, a parody uh, of a Billy Joel song that some guy's doing. That's another session from uh, my bass player. Dick Shopto owns a studio and found a client who's doing a parody of We Didn't Start the Fire, uh, a Billy Joel tune. Yep. <clears throat> but it's, uh, it's, it's more politically... Um, charged. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. So that's a whole interesting experience. And man, I'm all over the map. You know, uh, songwriting a lot, and and also working on uh, oh this this classical piece that I've been working trying to trying to flesh out. And uh, you know, um, staying you know keeping pretty busy around the house. Grateful to have this time with you and uh another uh, couple of places like one of the solo venues i play smoky's barbecue had me do a happy hour virtual happy hour last week yeah that you told uh, me about that that sounds really cool and it's places like that that are like reaching out going hey would you like to do a, a show and you can put up your tip jar and people have just been amazing uh supportive so yeah i can't wait to hear you you do at least one because uh, your solo shows are just amazing. And uh, I think you'd find that it's uh, <clears throat> it's really a, a beautiful thing. Well, I appreciate and that. What's beautiful is is like seeing the community, um, you know, the comments coming in when you're, when you're rolling live. Yeah. Because it's an odd sensation. You know, you've come to the end of a tune and it's just like dead air. Right. You know? Here you're all sitting alone in your house and, um, but then when I play those videos back when they're done and watch people's comments, you just see the sense of community, you know? Yeah. Hey girl, how you doing over there? What are you doing? And we're having red wine. Hey, we're having white wine or, that's know? cool. Uh, it's just a lot of love, a lot of love between humans happening. Right on. Um, so I've not, I've yet, experience. I've yet to do a Facebook live that I was in control of anyway. So I'll, I'll have to, uh, you know, get it together, clear out, clear out a corner of my spare bedroom so I can have a place to stand. that doesn't have a bunch of junk in it, but yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, very cool. Scotty, I wanted to, uh, let you just, uh, if you don't mind, why don't you shoot us with any details you want to talk about? If you, if you just want to point people to the website or if you want to, uh, yeah, Facebook sure. or any projects that are coming up that people need to look out for, anything like that. Let us let us know now. 
Yeah. Um, my website, scottymiller.com. You know, scotty with an I-E, miller.com. And my Facebook page is Scotty Miller Band. Uh, and I have a live stream coming from home. I've been calling them uh, live from Scotty's house. <laughs> you know, super creative. Very cool. And uh, <clears throat> have they're really fun uh, in my piano room and get the lights set up. And I'm doing another one. I'm doing my third live stream this Friday night at 7 p.m. Central um, on my Facebook page at Scotty Miller Band. And, uh, you know, I got all 10 of my CDs and, and Scotty Miller Band Blues and Soul t-shirts available on my website at scottymiller.com. And, uh, you know, those are the two best places. You know, you hit my website, you can find all the other social media links. And, you know, uh, just like you, uh, my albums are out on all the digital the streaming platforms from Spotify to Apple Music to to Pandora and, and so on. So... If you don't want the physical CDs from my website, you can you can stream and and hit me up. Uh, you know, and all you got to do is punch in Scotty Miller uh, with an I E. Right on. And that's where all my stuff is at. So, so yeah, the next thing coming up really is uh, uh, Friday night from my house, and beyond that, uh, we're all just uh, in the same boat in a holding pattern um, on on touring. But exactly, it'll be it'll. It'll come back. It'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. Just for reference, this uh, podcast is being recorded on April 21st, 2020. Yep. And let's see. I guess there's, uh, I pretty much covered it. I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. I, and I was totally Man, serious about thank you. you. Yeah. I'm totally serious about you becoming, you know, coming over and hijacking. And hopefully you'll be a recurring, we'll do a Scotty Miller part two or we can. Uh, we won't go through the backstory as much as we'll talk about current events moving forward. And, sure. And hopefully it'll be an ongoing great. experience. I'd love it. Sounds great, Haddon. Thanks for doing this, and thanks for having me. Thank you, brother. I love you, and you're an amazing talent, an amazing friend. Right back at you, pal. All right, Blues is our podcast. Thank you so much, Scotty Miller. Okay, I hope you enjoy that long and wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Scotty Bones Miller. The Blues is Art podcast is featured on HaddonSayers.com, my website. If you are enjoying the podcast, please stop by Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and give me a review. Uh, the more stars, the better, if you don't mind. Stay tuned for more episodes, and if you haven't heard all of the previous episodes, you can find them at haddonsayers.com slash podcast. Take care, and until next time, have a great one. Lose is art.